welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm excited to kind of get, hopefully get back into a groove. I think we may have figured out a recording situation. Uh, I'll actually let you all be the judge of that. So if you hear some things you don't like, I know that the audio is a little different. There's actually just a tiniest little bit of tinny sound is what I'd call it, uh, uh, just because of some of the reverberation we have with our recording setup. But uh, give me feedback uh, at the website, redtoolhouse.com. You can let me know what you think uh, as far as if it's uh, unbearable if there's a specific issue. But I think we've got it figured out. I've got some interviews lined up again. I really encourage you all to reach out to me if you uh, wanted to be interviewed or had a topic. Again, it's been several months. If I've overlooked your name, it's not intentional. So by all means, reach out, let me know, and, and we'll get you scheduled. I'd like to get back into, uh, I'd like to finish this year with uh, with a lot of episodes and get some things pushed out there for you all. Uh, well, as far as updates goes, I feel like since I, I waited you know, months and months to give you updates and then unloaded on you last week, that I really much hadn't changed in the last seven days. So I feel like I really don't have much to update you on. <laughs> so, so we'll, we'll uh, dispense with the pleasantries of updates and let's just dive straight into our interview. Uh, today I have uh, on the podcast a gentleman by the name of Matthias Pitts. And he's actually, he's got a unique story. I mean, I, that's what I like about this. It seems like everybody's got a unique story, but I, I like the way uh, he's, he started his farming endeavor a couple of years ago, polyculture, trying to do a, doing a lot of different things, uh, ended up moving to a different tract of land and really wanted to go um, uh, full bore into pigs, pardon the pun. And, uh, and so he describes that and talks about how he uh, I looked at the land, saw how the land was going to be more conducive for pigs than his polyculture. So I won't uh, give away any more of the secret sauce there. I'll let him uh, detail all of those um, uh, those choices that he made and some of the parameters he was looking at when he decided to switch to, to hogs. So without any further ado, let's jump right in and talk to Matthias. But um, as I mentioned, Matthias is in uh, Michigan, and uh, God bless him, he is standing out in the port on the porch in 33 degree weather because he has some young ones that are a little irate right now, and he is being sacrificial for the sake of the podcast. So I appreciate you doing that. Hope you don't freeze. Oh, absolutely, man. So I, I have to ask all my Michiganders, are you a Uper or are you a mainland Michigan? Or what, what's what's the opposite of the Upers? So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're in the lower peninsula. Um, our dream would be to be in the uh, UP, but uh, we, and we, you know, we've traveled there several times, but no, we're, uh, we're just, if, anyway, if you know where Saginaw, Michigan is, we're, um, Probably 20 minutes south of Saginaw, uh, right near Lapeer. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not been in that area, but I'm familiar with where that is geographically. So you you, you all get a little bit of a winter up there then, don't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're <laughs> definitely not. I mean, it's, it's, they've got record levels of snow in the UP right now. Yeah, um, wow. But we have yet to see any, so okay. yeah, that's, it doesn't that's... get too bad. All right. Well, very good. So... Um, 
I, I want to dive right into your setup. You had kind of a unique story, so I'd like to talk more about your backstory than what we'd normally do on the Pastured Pig podcast, just simply because um, I find it fascinating, and and I love the idea of adaptation. You know, it's it's always one of those things with with anything, especially farming. It's always think fastball and adjust for the curve type of situation. So it sounds like you kind oh, of right, right. sounds like you guys kind of had that scenario. So if you would uh, back up a little bit and, and kind of give me an overview of the last couple of years. Yeah, so um, we had started, so <laughs> we've actually moved our farm three times in three years. Um, <laughs> you wanted by the law or something? <laughs> say it again? I said, are you wanted by the law or something? I know, yeah. Yeah, that's what a lot of people, they, they're they like, why? why? Like, they can't comprehend why. And neither can we, actually. Um, we uh, <laughs> we started off in, uh, in Holt, Michigan, over near Lansing, um, because uh, my full-time job, I'm a worship pastor, and I was at a, I was at a church in Lansing, and uh, we started part-time farming there um, in 2018, and decided that you know if we were going to keep homesteading and farming, that we needed to make a little bit of money doing it, um, in order to just kind of break even on the cost and whatnot. And so we had we had initially started growing vegetables, um, and that's actually all we all we did the first year. Um, this is awesome. My dog's going to be barking instead of my children being crazy. Uh, <laughs> Such is life, brother. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we, we had done that, <clears throat> started raising vegetables and, and growing all those. Um, got into the, the no-till kind of permaculture style of, of gardening and, uh, and had a great time doing it. You know, made just a little bit of money here and there. Um, to offset some of the costs of, you know, our chickens. And uh, we had started rabbits as well. Um, and that's kind of where the name came from, Hares and Harold. And then uh, the following year, we had felt this kind of push to, to do more. And so we we went ahead and uh, started figuring out how we were going to start a full-time farm and leave our full-time job in order to do that. And so um, a buddy of mine was like, hey, you know, I've, <clears throat> he's kind of a business consultant, but he, uh, he said, hey, a lot of our clients, they do, um, they've been getting into crowdfunding. And uh, he said, I think that a lot of people would get behind this. I think you should do it or should try that avenue. And so that's what we did. We, uh, we got on one of the uh, crowdfunding websites and, and started a whole campaign and uh, actually wound up being far more successful than, uh, in that than we thought we were going to be. Because, um, you know, it's kind of weird just pitching, hey, we're going to do a farm. We, we, did a, we did CSA shares, and so that's kind of what we told people we were going to be doing and, and all that. And uh, so at, uh, after that whole campaign happened, um, we got fully funded, and uh, we bought all the materials. And my father-in-law actually had offered us, um, we had talked to him, and he offered us his land to start it on so that we wouldn't have to lease land. And so we packed up all of our, we sold our house, packed up the whole um, farm, all the chickens, uh, rabbits, all the animals, everything, packed up, moved it over to his property. He was on 10 acres, or he he is on 10 acres. Um, And then, yeah, we built our first, we built an eight, 80 by uh, 80 by 20 greenhouse 
uh, as a tomato and, and cucumber house. Um, and then we did a 27,000 square foot uh, no-till garden. Hmm. And then we raised meat birds. You know, I, I had kind of, as in the winter beforehand, been doing a lot of research on raising meat birds and, and egg birds to uh, have that be a couple of our enterprises. And, of course, um, you know, came across Joel Salatin and all his methods and whatnot um, and, all, and a, a lot of his books. So just spent a lot of time uh, reading in those books and, and doing a lot of research um, on YouTube and just looking at all, all the stuff that he has put out uh, with that and then talking to other people who have done those same things and, and whatnot. So that's kind of what we did. Um, and just <laughs> uh, we laugh about it now because once we got into it, uh, I, I mean, Anybody who was farming last year, especially um, in the Midwest, knows that it was a hard farming year. Mm. Um, and so we uh, we had kind of this joke around every farmer's market that we were at. All the experienced farmers were like, you guys picked the absolute worst year you could have to start your farm. <laughs> right. And, uh, it, and we, we all had a good laugh about it, but there was so much truth to it. Like, it was just a hard year. We really struggled. Um you know, we had tons and tons of, of rain, and it stayed pretty cool all the way up into the, uh, you know, three-quarters of the way into June. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were struggling with our with all of our crops and whatnot. And, of course, because the because of how the weather had uh, behaved in early February, late March, you know, there was a really high raccoon population. And so we actually lost 55% of our meat bird flock last year. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Which was uh, which was nuts, yeah. <laughs> um, and we, I mean, we could not, we could not keep them out. We actually wound up just harvest, harvesting and taking them to the processor earlier um, than we had anticipated because um, it would give us that year. But we, I mean, we did. People knew that they, um, people were very supportive. We, we didn't have very much backlash at all. You know, uh, everybody understood. They knew that, that it was a startup. They knew that uh, we, that what they were supporting. And they knew you know, we had we had set up you know CSA agreements with everybody, and so they everybody was just more than happy to support the farm. Um, you know they they, they kept saying um, a lot of them said you know we wanted to support a business, and the vegetables and chicken were just a perch. Yeah. So it was just like we were we were so unbelievably humbled by everybody's um, grace about it all. Um, but needless to say, uh, with all that happening we wound up uh, looking for another full-time job to kind of regroup and kind of reset from last year. And um, our friends, uh, good friend, our best friends that we've known forever, um, they were moving out of their house, but they didn't want to lose connection with the property. And so hey, they said, hey, do you want to buy our house? And uh, we were like, yeah, it's, uh, it was a, it's a, almost 12 acre property I think um, and uh, you know it, it, it would still allow us to pursue our farming goals uh, and, and, and figure things out from there so we took last winter to kind of do that we, we moved everything over and just kind of rethought you know everything that we would uh, want to do and you know the, the property is kind of designated wetland um, on some parts of it um, but all of it is you know it's fairly it's not super dry land and we live in kind of a bowl um the whole property like our house and uh everything is like in the center bowl of this property um 
And so we, we, you know, we were looking at how much forest we have, and uh, we have a lot of wooded acres, but we also, underneath the woods, we still have a lot of grass. And so I got to thinking, you know, we had always thought about raising pigs, but never really um, pulled the trigger on it. And I figured, you know what, this would be as, you know, as good a year as any to try and do that. And so we went ahead and got four pigs um, and uh, had a couple people go in with us as far as, um, you know, they, they said, hey, you know, you can raise it, but, but we'll, we'll, you know, pay for the feed and whatnot. And so we tried it out that way. We got two Mangalisas and then a Mangalisa uh, GOS uh, cross and then an American... What was it? A Berkshire old spot cross as well? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how that all came about and how we started getting into pigs. Um, and so that kind of, you know, we had a lot of success with that this year. Um, found that we absolutely loved it, and we we did want to make sure that we were uh, using them to kind of treat, uh, kind of help impact the land a little bit because what we've got going on is a ton of uh, thistle and just lots of bramble burdock, stuff like that that we wanted to get out of there and they just did an amazing job clearing it all out and they honestly they, they dug up a lot of firewood for us that we didn't like tr- whole trees that we didn't even know were there up. <laughs> yeah wonderful so so that sounds like that was this um this last year this 2020 years was the first um first season of having the pigs is is that am i correct in understanding that that's correct yeah okay. yeah so uh, why why those four uh, specific pigs? Was it just what was available? Did you want to lean towards the mangas? Did you have a certain certain direction you wanted to go there? Yeah. So um, at first it was um, it was more so just availability. It was an incredibly difficult year to find pigs, um, you know, feeder pigs around here. Um, and so uh, I had a guy call me back. He said I have two mangalitas and a mangalita cross with GOS and I said I'll take them and uh, he sold them to me really cheap and he's, he was, we, we got to talking and we got along really well and he wound up just uh, <laughs> uh, being a cool resource for me um, you know learn how to do it and all but um, I also did a lot of research with um, I mean, you're probably familiar with uh, Brandon Sheard over at uh, Farmstead Meatsmith yeah mm-hmm. so did a lot of you know read a lot of his stuff watched a lot of his videos um and was just completely uh, just taken back by how much knowledge there was about um, there, that he had about the utilization of pigs and and whatnot. So he taught you know he they I think they were just starting their mangalisa shares and whatnot. So I kind of looked into that a little bit, and that's kind of what uh, you know um, that's kind of what pushed us over the edge in that decision for definitely wanting to do mangalisa this year. Um, I don't know that we would do them again, um, except for, you know, in every couple of years raise one or two of them uh, for the large. We, you know, we, we definitely utilized that, and we rendered it all down. And we, we probably rendered probably, I don't know, five gallons yeah. per pig. Yeah. It was a ton. <laughs> so, um, but this next year, uh, we, we, the, the, the breeder that we got our um, old spot burster mix from, uh, he's out in Portland, Michigan. He's about an hour and a half from us, um, not super far. But uh, we kind of decided that we really liked the uh, GOS Berkshire cross. And so uh, he's got us lined up for, for next year, as many orders as we will take, because we're going to start selling this year whole and half shares. 
um, or I'm sorry, next year, a hole and a half share uh, next spring. And uh, and so we're, we're going to go into GOS Berkshire Cross and, and let that be kind of the breed that we we race here for a while until we either change our mind or start um, barreling ourselves. Because that's kind of on the, on the list of what we'd like to do as well. Yeah, okay. Um, let's back up for a second if we could. I, I think maybe I understand why, but uh, if you would just explain. So... Uh, you had mentioned that you probably wouldn't do manga again, or maybe just every every other year or every couple of years raise one. Was it because of it was just too much lard? Too much, uh, it didn't get the finish you liked there. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, we we absolutely loved every bit of it. Um, but I, I, my intuition would tell me that not everybody is going to love it because not everyone wants to utilize it the way that we want to. And so if we're going to be growing for customers, I don't think I would grow Mangalitsa until I have enough of a customer base um, to educate a little bit on why they're awesome. Yeah. Um, because what, what we would like to do eventually is host classes on, um, you know, kind of do what Farmstead, what, uh, Farmstead Meat Smith and Hand Hume Farm. I know you guys have had them on mm-hmm. a couple times yeah. um, or at least once. And uh, do classes like that, teaching people how to break down a pig totally and, and have a custom butcher shop on site here so that we can host those classes and and show people really how to utilize because pigs are so like so awesome in that way that you can um like you can use almost 100 percent of them some people use absolutely 100 percent um but they're they're such a prime example of whole animal butchery and so we want to be able to educate people on that and, and educate people on why you know their fat is so healthy and why you don't want to trim that off um and, and just all the things that they're, they're so useful in so many different culinary ways and other ways. So um, we just got really excited about it. We fell in love with the pigs. So um, we want to be able to educate people uh, on that stuff, but, but be able to do that and have a customer, customer base for that before we start doing, uh, trying to sell large pig shares. Yeah. Otherwise, I would just get the feeling that people would be kind of irritated that they got a ton of fat and not a lot of meat. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, you're exactly right. And, and I like that. Uh... I like that you've got the foresight to see that going forward, that uh, there is a very specific client. you got your pastured pig client, and then you've got your, your lard pig client uh, within that grouping. So good stuff. Yeah. So um, so let's talk. So you you, um, you went from the 10 acres at your your father's uh, property, and now you're on this 12 acres. And you, you said in your description uh, before we uh, started recording that uh, primarily wooded, and it sounds like it was overgrown as well. So what kind of infrastructure did you have, and what obstacles did you run into uh, uh, immediately when you put your pigs on last year? You know, honestly, this part of me gets a little nervous thinking about it because we didn't have very many obstacles. This was the easiest thing, easiest animal we have ever raised on farm. Um <laughs> By far, we you know we didn't have a single one escape. Um, the one thing I'll say I do remember this. So we, we have a two poly wire strand um, electric fence around, uh, pretty common practice, and we just use the uh, you know the portable fence posts uh, that just stick in the ground you know a couple inches and completely movable. Because we do have a lot of the terrain here is pretty. There's a lot of hills. There's a lot of you know. Uh, divots and little valleys in, in places so we uh, that works best for us um, but what we had done first is we used the pigs along with the chickens to till up our uh, our no-till garden mm-hmm. we had them in a in um, we just had them in 
uh, electric netting for the first couple months that they were outside of the barn. And uh, the one the one obstacle that we did, I didn't think about how to get them to where we were going to have them, which is a solid solid 500 feet away. And uh, the one thing I did not research before doing it was moving them. And so I'm like, I'm thinking, I'll just move them one at a time. That way, if they run off, I don't have a bunch of pigs moving, moving away, um, which was a poor decision. <laughs> because, uh, as any good pig farmer knows, um, they are a herd animal, and so they're much easier to, to move together. And so that was probably the one. And even that didn't go poorly, um, but they didn't take to the line quite as well. Um, as they did the netting, obviously. And so when they did, I did have a couple run straight through when they got their first shock. Um, but it really wasn't that bad. I mean, it was de- definitely an adrenaline rush because, you know, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And pigs are so, un- like, surprisingly quick. <laughs> so, yes. um, and so when, you know, when they ran through, we didn't really exactly know what was going to happen, but it all turned out just fine. We weren't, we weren't too worried about it. it you know, no harm, no foul. And uh, from then on out, it was honestly the most pleasant and fun experience to be able to, you know, you, I'll probably sit out there, um, especially with COVID and everything, we had ample amount of time to, to learn pigs and, and do all the research while we're doing it, you know, while we're raising them, but also just to get to sit out there with them and watch them in it. It was just, it, it becomes the most, um, they're just one, some of the most fascinating animals I've ever watched. There's this whole psychology that they have and this social structure that they have that uh, it's just incredible to, to, to realize it's happening there. You know, we, me and the kids, we'd probably watch them anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes a day, just sit out, sit out there and be entertained by them endlessly. So, um, so yeah, not, not too many obstacles. Uh, oh, we didn't have any get sick or anything like that. Um, and uh, all of them grew exactly as we had hoped, and harvest weights were great. So um, that, it makes me nervous a little bit for next year. I'm like, I kind of wish something would have gone wrong so I could learn. Because that's, that's how I learned. I'm a trial by fire kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got I, I can feel you in that situation because my first farrowing, I had two, my very first two uh, gilts farrowed and had a litter of 10 and a litter of 12, no loss, no crush. And I thought, well, this is easy. I don't know why people complain about you know, having more, you know, high mortality rates and, and farrowing. This is a piece of cake. So little did I know. Yeah, I know. That's kind of what we're like. Okay, well, we're going to do this next year. And we're, we've ordered a couple more pigs than we think we're going to need just in case. Right. And worst case scenario, we'll, we'll um, you know, everything goes well and we'll sell them at the end of the season. Or we'll put them in our fridge. Yeah, exactly. So what, uh, in preparation for 2021, what additional infrastructure or what's on your short to-do list to get ready for your next uh, group? Yeah, so um, this year with the four pigs, we really didn't have to rotate pasture very much because I gave them quite a large one. Um, and so they, I mean, they, they definitely impacted it and, and were able to go through most of it um, before uh, harvest. But Next year, we actually decided to take the amount off our plate that we have had because we have goats, rabbits, all this stuff, all these animals that are that are super time-consuming, um, and we kind of want to put more, most of our effort into our pigs. And so, 
Um, plus, with it being, uh, you know, parts of the property being wetlands and already being a fairly forested and damp property, it's really not great for goats anyway. Um, we had plenty of issues that we, you know, we kept on uh, having goats start to get sick and we were dealing with parasite issues and, and bringing them all back from that. But it's still just such a pain and so much work that, you know, we didn't really have a ton of margin for. Um, uh, and so all that to say, we are getting rid of our goats and our rabbits and everything other than a few chickens and going to focus completely on uh, pigs. And to do that, we're actually taking up all the acreage that uh, the goats were on and we're going to be setting up different paddocks um, for us to rotate our pigs in. And then um, what I've been wanting to also get into is um, is setting up a, a decent, uh, I don't know if I call it operation, but... Um, but a fodder set up um, so that we can have, you know, we can we can feed them uh, on fodder, but also a little bit of fermented grain as well as what we're kind of wanting to go into. We've got a lot of dairy farms around here, some of them organic, some of them not. Um, but if we can if we can score some uh, some whey and some byproduct that we can ferment some of that stuff in um, some of those grains in, then we would love to do that. Yeah, yeah, Al along with the fodder. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a good. That's a good plan. So since you're since you're starting next year without farrowing and you're going to finish prior to bad weather, it sounds like you don't need to do a lot of infrastructure. What, as far as buildings go, what is your water situation like in these uh, pasture areas? Yeah. So um, we, right, it's it's a poor watering situation. <laughs> uh, it's it's not bad. We it, you know the pastures are. Um, a lot of the pasture that we're going to be doing is right outside our door. It's, you know, it's maybe a 50-foot walk to where those pastures are. Um, so for the time being next year, we're going to just be um, carrying five-gallon buckets and filling up waters that way, uh, probably doing the 55-gallon drum with the, uh, you know, the pig watering nipples um, and doing those. Um, that's kind of what we're planning on doing, having a couple of those out there. Um, with them because we're, we're not planning on doing any more than 12 pigs including you know including our own so um, the one lesson that we learned from last year is start small and when things grow or I'm sorry when you're um, when the need for your business to grow uh, is there then grow it <laughs> but um, we so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to start really really small uh, and then as things grow, we'll, you know, we'll buy more pigs, we'll buy more infrastructure and stuff like that, but not trying to start off with, you know, we're definitely not trying to bite off more than we can chew. Um, so, so yeah, the watering, uh, we'll just do those 55-gallon uh, drums and then uh, fill them up with 5-gallon buckets, except for, you know, where we can reach hose. Uh, I've got, we've got a, quite a bit of um, water hose uh, dragged out even to where they're at right now, so we, we should be solid there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of our, our watering setup. Yeah, okay. So with next year, I don't know if you said it or not, how, how many pigs are you thinking about running next year? Yeah, so um, about 12. Okay. No, no more than 12. That's kind of what we decided. You know, we said four was, was awesome, and we absolutely loved it. Um, we think we can handle 12 uh, as kind of a step up and see, you know, how just how uh, – you know, if 12 is too much, then maybe the next year we do a little less. Uh, you know, we're not, we're, I'm happy with my job that I have now. And so, you know, farming is a dream of ours. You know, we, 
and, and doing it full time would be a dream. But you know, we're, we're happy with where we're at now. So we're not in a rush to get there. We, if if that's where we feel like, uh, you know, God opens up some doors for us to be able to do that, then we will. And if not, then we're perfectly content just just doing a small operation and and educating people and, and doing things, um, you know, doing our part to help kind of fix the way that our food is grown. Yeah, very good. So, very good. So as far as, so with 12 hogs with holes and halves, uh, anywhere from 12 to 24 customers in that situation. So I, I know you'd mentioned you moved. I wasn't quite sure if the 10 acres you were on was, was close to where you are now near Saginaw. But you know, from Lansing to Saginaw, that's a pretty good stretch. So uh, how are you obtaining, what's, what's your plan for obtaining a new uh, customer base there? Yeah, so um, uh, so where we were, the 10 acres, is about an hour and a half from where we're at now, like right in between Lansing. It's kind of like a weird triangle. Um, we were in, it, the, our 10 acres was in Howell, Michigan before. And, uh, we, you know, we've had a lot of customers from, from last year reach out and, and say, you know, if you do anything this year, we know you're away, but if you do anything this year, let us know. Um, and then we've actually, uh, the, the church that I'm at now is actually quite a large church, and, and a lot of people um, are, are really starting to get into, um, uh, you know, localized farm, uh, or I'm sorry, local farm food and, and, and trying to find, um, you know, pasture-raised meat anywhere they can, grass-fed beef pigs, all that stuff. So um, just had a lot of interest. That's kind of what made us decide to, to kind of take a leap again and, and maybe try uh, selling them again was because we had a lot of people asking about it. Um, and it's just kind of word of mouth uh, and whatnot. So uh, I put it out uh, on social media, hey, we're thinking about doing this. And immediately I had, probably within an hour, I had nine people say, hey, send up uh, or at least let us know what you're doing. Um, and then we had some more say, hey, we're thinking about it. Uh, let us know when you get closer to there, and we'll see where we're at. So, yeah, I think I think I, I don't think that we'll have a problem selling. You know, eight. I think eight pegs is what we pegs is what we want to sell. Hmm. Um, keep two for ourselves, and then have a couple extra uh, just in case we have extra customers or anything like that. So, yeah, very good, very good. So you had mentioned um, doing some fodder and doing some other. Um, alternative feed sources there. Is that something you think you're going to start this spring or are you going to go conventional and then work your way into that? Yeah. So we, um, so we, we started actually, you know, our, our whole thing was we're, we're not certified organic uh, by any second means, but we, uh, any of our animals have certified organic non-GMO feed. And if we can help it, we do no soy. And so we were lucky enough this year with our pigs, we had started them on um, conventional feed. It was an organic, non-GMO conventional feed. And, um, you know, we, we had some, I think it was probably, again, Farmstead Meatsmith, again, that we were looking at, and uh, he was talking about feeding them on um, peas and barley. And that's all that they feed them on, or at least that's, uh, you know, obviously with, uh, you know, vegetable scraps here and there and whatnot. And so... Um, I tried to find peas everywhere. I could not find them. Definitely not organic, but I couldn't find bulk peas, period. But what I did find was um, corn, oats, and barley. And so uh, the the feed guy that we had was just ordering a ton of that just for us. And so we had an ample supply of that that we were soaking um, to ferment a little bit. And then 
The only thing that we think that will probably change is eventually um, I would love to have a, a grain mill of some sort here mm. so that we can kind of process it uh, down into a, more of a powdery substance because right now um, the oats and the corn seem to digest really well and, you know, all the food scraps that we give them, which is ample amounts because our uh, garden had a ton of, we, we just had a great year in our garden, so they got they got to eat really well as well. Um, but the barley, we were seeing a lot of that in, uh, in their stool, so we wanted to make sure that we can kind of grind that down and make it more digestible. But the soaking definitely helped with that. I started seeing a lot less of that once we started soaking the grain. Yeah, yeah, that's something we just did new this last year, and it's it's been dramatic difference of soaking and fermenting. So, which which reminds me, out of morbid curiosity, I, you know, with with uh, our situation, it's all about scalability when it comes to this value added treatment to uh, to your food yeah. source. So, how are you looking at that? You know, soaking and fermenting for four hogs compared to twelve. You know, there's there's definitely a scalability thing there. So, what do you see in a? Yeah, you know, I really don't think it should be that difficult. You know, if we it, the dream would be, you know, if we, if we can keep building this, you know, and we have 50 hogs sometime down the line, you know, that becomes a much larger number to figure that uh, issue out with. But as far as 12, it's like we were doing probably a five-gallon bucket full of grain uh, for the four pigs. Um, and because uh, we do a control feed, we don't do um, unlimited. Yeah. We don't do free feed. Um, and maybe, maybe one or two of those buckets. So... You know, scale that up to 12, and you've got three, you know, three to six buckets. Um, so nothing, nothing too terrible for us. Yeah. Uh, at least for the next year. You know, we're. I definitely want to look into the fodder and kind of see how that, uh, how that affects the meat quality and, and the fat quality. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. We, you know, I kind of expected a little bit to have a little bit of slower growth because of the fact that we don't use soy. Um, and I would assume that most of those uh, numbers that are telling you how long it will take to grow at each breed, um, I would imagine most of those deal with soy. Um, but we actually we, we saw the same growth rate without the soy, which is a really great thing because it's, it's you know soy is not the worst thing in the world by any means. But um, you know we don't love to consume a lot of it, and um, I do know that soy tends to uh, you know, our, our big, uh, um, something that's really important to us is, is the fat quality of our pigs and making sure that people feel comfortable completely consuming the fat because it's super healthy for you and it's freaking delicious. Um, but soy tends to, uh, especially when you're curing and stuff, uh, tends to cause the fat to go rancid and bitter quite quickly. So that's something we're trying to make sure we stay away from. And it seems like I, I don't think that we'll have a huge problem doing that. And our feed, our feed supply guy said he's pretty confident we can, we can figure that out and uh, just replace protein um, is what we're is what we're working on. Yeah, that's nice to have that option uh, around you there. Yeah, we were super fortunate to do that. I know a lot of farms, but Michigan's a big ag state, and so we have a ton of feed supply elevators everywhere. Hmm. Um, and so, and we, we've always had pretty good luck finding organic. And now, since organic is becoming a very, I don't want to say it's a fad, but it's becoming definitely more important to people. Um, and so, uh, especially in these in these parts here, so uh, we've been really fortunate to be able to find pretty much anything we need. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And again, yeah, like you said, it, it's all about supply and demand. So as as more demand comes, then uh, these uh, these operations are going to find ways to make that supply and 
and that's just a, yeah just something absolutely that has to wonderful all right so um we, we we talked a lot about next year's plans and, and i think you, you touched on a little bit and possibly fairway in some classes are there any other uh, you know, like five-year plan model down the road that you'd like to see uh, happen yeah you know we haven't really put together a five-year plan um not because i don't want to but just you know this is the idea of getting back into farming as a business after the first year being super difficult definitely wasn't on our radar up until very recently. And even then, it was like, man, kind of tiptoeing that line. Do we really want to do that again, or do we want to wait a little while and give ourselves a breather? And so um, all that to say, we down the line, it would be a dream of ours to be able to have a, uh, a pig farm that we are able to, like, to do classes um, but also to be able to open up a, a custom exempt uh, butcher shop here on site um, to be able to not only, like, not just educate people through classes, but also uh, talk with them through the process of butchering so that we can do the butchering. You know, that's obviously, it's another way to make a little bit of income on the farm, but it's also a way for us to educate and have people who are, are very timid about trying out things like, like eating fat or uh or curing meat or anything like that. Like we, that's something that we learned to do this year, uh, and we would love to help other people learn how to do as well. Eventually, you know, when we become great at it, um, and you know, when you can work with all the certifications and all the licensing that goes with that, um, you know, it takes some time. So that's kind of where we'd like to be, probably in five years, uh, if if everything goes that way. Yeah. And then along down the along along the way down the road, we've been kind of looking at. Um, the idea of finding an, an orchard, because um, there's lots of them around here, and being able to uh, being able to open up a, a pig farm on an orchard and, and, and have orchard pig, uh, orchard raised uh, pork, um, which would be kind of that would be ten probably ten years down the line, but at, at least. But that's kind of what we've been gravitating towards. If, if we wanted to get back into full-time, what would we have to combine it with? And we thought, because we live in Michigan, we have tons of apples around here, and pigs that have been fed apples taste delicious. So we uh, that's kind of probably the 10-year plan. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Well, Matthias, one of the closing questions that I, I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, what is your best experience or your favorite parts about raising pigs on pasture? Yeah, man. Um so I'd say there's two things that I've learned to love a ton. And one of them is uh, being able to sit out there and just watch them and, and realize they've got a whole society within that little pen. Um, and, and it's such an interesting thing to watch and see who, um, you know, who is the boss and, and who's kind of the, the least dominant one and, and, you know, learn who they are. Um, you know, I've been completely fascinated fascinated by them um, and, and being able to just watch them and their whole social structure and the psychology that they have. So uh, that's been really cool. And I think the second part is um, probably being able to, to butcher them ourselves and see the vastness of the, um, the utility in a pig, like how much, how, how much use every little bit of them has. Um, Definitely, you know, definitely kind of knew a lot of that before we got into it. But until you do it yourself, you really don't realize 
just how much of that pig is utilized um, and and how much of it is usable. Um, and so that was one of our favorites to do. And, and teaching, you know, teaching our kids how to how to butcher a pig. You know, we do the scald and scrape method, and so teaching them how to do all of that. You know, we we homeschool our kids, so it's actually a really good anatomy lesson. And whenever we do that stuff, you know, they'll tell me what part is which, and I'll pull out a part and uh, and an organ or whatnot, and they'll. I'll say, what is this? And they'll, they'll tell me, and, and they're, they're five and seven. And, uh, so it's really fun just being able to bond with the kids in that way as well, around all, all, all being around the pigs. Very good. Excellent. Well, if, if our, anybody listening wants to know more about your setup, where can they find you online? Yeah, so we are on, uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and then we also have a website, uh, com super long name, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, uh, that's kind of where we have all of our information about what we're doing this year and, and what our plans are, and then also, obviously, um, keeping up with social media. Um, we kind of post everything that we're trying to do and everything, uh, all of our plans on there as well. So, Very good, very good. Well, Matthias, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me tonight on the podcast. I hope you're not frozen out there on the front porch still. Oh no, I'm all set, man. I'm I'm good to go. I like the cold, so we're good. But I I totally appreciate you having me, man. This has been a blast. I'm so so excited when you uh, when you reached out. So. All right, wonderful. Well, it's good talking to you. I pray you can have a good week. Well, I appreciate Matthias coming on the podcast there. <laughs> like I mentioned in the beginning, I love the fact that he was standing out on the porch doing our interview. I, I remember those days of having young ones that make a lot of noise. It's tough to concentrate, but. Uh, that's what you call taking one for the team for the podcast. So thanks, Matthias. I hope you didn't freeze too much. Uh, again, you Michigan guys, you can handle that 33-degree weather without any issues. So, Well, again, if you have any input on uh, the recording quality, any suggestions there, obviously let me know. I'm always open for uh, options. I feel like I've exhausted almost all the uh, things out there. Price to pay, live in paradise, I guess. Uh, if you have any topics, any suggestions of what we need to talk about, by all means, drop me a line. You can email me directly, troy at redtoolhouse.com, or go to the website, redtoolhouse.com. Use the contact form there and drop me a line that way. Well, I think this is where we'll bid you adieu. I pray everyone have a great week out in the pasture. And actually, being out in the pasture is the safest place to be right now because of all this madness. <laughs> Stay safe, everybody. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.